1: welcome to overdue it's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read my name is craig my name is andrew bringing that media training energy to this podcast
0: wait when did you get media training i want media training
1: uh i downloaded it into my brain last night <laughs> i woke <laughs> up and i said whoa <laughs> i've got media training
0: okay That's it's interesting i didn't know you were getting media training this is my
1: first attempt to
0: put it to use can't you tell you sound the same, except where we've been talking about media training a lot. That's more all so I far. know about
1: media training.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you have to talk about it. Yeah, um, we're also going to talk about
1: books on this here book podcast, where one of us reads a book that we haven't read before and tells the other person about it. Been a few weeks now, Andrew, where mm-hmm. we've all we've each read the book. We both, both we both, both simultaneously read the,
0: read the book. Yes.
1: And so this week we're going to get back to the classic formula that y'all know and love where uh, you know and I tolerate. <laughs> I didn't do the work for this episode and no, Andrew did. He, I mean, you did listen, though. You did get media training. Yeah, that's true. That was specifically for this episode, I told mm-hmm. them, the computers that put it in my brain. You, you... know,
0: since I work in the media, mm-hmm. I've had several opportunities to get media training that I've expressed an interest in that no one has ever followed <laughs> up with me about. So <laughs> it's not my fault that I haven't been media trained.
1: Uh, well, Andrew, in lieu of media training, why don't mm-hmm. you train me about this week's book? What did you read?
0: I read Homegoing by Ya Gyasi.
1: Okay, cool. Um all, I forgot all of my training. Sorry.
0: <laughs> you, you learned so much about media training that you forgot how to do the podcast You're that we do. Right. Tell me about you so you did some author research probably. Tell I, me about
1: it. I did a little bit. I will also tell you that this is one of our Patreon recommendations. Thank you, Angela, for recommending this book to us. Angela said, uh, my suggestion is that you read Homegoing by Yad Jassi. It's my favorite book. (laughs) That's it. Thanks. That's good. That's good. Uh, Glad to talk about your favorite book this week. Um, Yad Jassi, born in 1989. uh, Born in Ghana, moved to the States uh, when she was very little uh, with her family because her dad was completing his PhD, I think, at OSU. And then she was
0: raised in Birmingham, Alabama. Yeah,
1: they moved around from like Ohio to Illinois to Tennessee. And then by the time she was in elementary school, I think she was in Alabama and grew up there.
0: You do have to call it the Ohio State University, though. You can't just say OSU. Sorry. (laughs) Come on. Oh, man. My bad.
1: Um, And uh, I've heard people who went to the University of Pennsylvania don't like it when you call it UPenn, which I don't think is true a lot of people call it u pen <laughs>
0: but maybe they maybe they all hate it maybe, maybe they all
1: just do it for convenience sake but they That's, don't like it uh, i would love to know if any of our mm-hmm. listeners have opinions um Jossie said uh, told the wall street journal Growing up, one of the things I found most difficult was trying to figure out where I fit in, particularly because while my family is black, obviously we weren't African-American. And because I grew up in predominantly white spaces, I think it could be difficult to figure out how to navigate America's racial tension. And that seems to have informed a lot of uh, her work, her writing about other people's work. Um, She said she loved writing from an early age. When she was seven, she submitted a story to a Reading Rainbow writing contest and got Ooh. like a certificate of achievement signed by lavar burton which is cool that is cool i don't know
0: how many of those he gave out
1: i have no idea um but it's like part of her you know author author like narrative that she's told multiple times i came
0: across it in multiple interviews i think that's neat you know where um, else you know what else What other institution of of literature recognized her Mm. talents is the old Iowa Writers Workshop. Yeah,
1: she went to Stanford and then was like, you know what? I got to go to Iowa. I hear it calling. Hear those ears of corn calling. She did say that when she was 17, she was assigned to read Song of Solomon by Toni Morrison. Uh, I think she cited it as like the first work of literature. By a black woman that she was assigned to read um, in school and kind of gave her the germ that of an idea that she could go off and do that for a career. Um, and she started working on this book, Homegoing, while she was at Stanford and then kind of took it to the next step uh, at the Iowa Writers Workshop. The book was inspired by, and I don't know, I don't, this is purely work of fiction, so I don't know how much of this would come across in the book, Andrew, um, she was inspired to write it after a 2009 trip to Ghana, which was her first okay. time back since she was an infant. Mm-hmm. Um, and she visited what is called the Cape Coast Castle, which was a British trade headquarters that became uh, a pretty busy outpost in the West African Gold Coast slave trade. Yeah. Uh, and one of the like anecdotes or or whatever that she was told by a tour guide involved... Like British soldiers marrying local women. And it's just kind of a a thing that she hadn't thought about being a reality in that world and how that Mm -hmm. might lead to like, you know, as she said in Time magazine, the juxtaposition of the majesty upstairs with the awfulness and despair downstairs uh, really struck that there were women upstairs who maybe didn't understand or realize what was going on beneath them. Uh, And wanted to kind of tell that story.
0: Yeah, she really used that. She grabbed onto that and used that like duality as a as the linchpin of the Mm. whole books like structure, which we can talk about when we get to the books. Yeah, totally. Um, She kind of knowingly compares
1: herself to Garcia Marquez for this in terms of like writing a centuries spanning narrative um, and breaking some rules about you know maybe character development or things like that. I was also reminded when I was reading about this book, Andrew. You read what did you read last year? The Isabel Allende book. Yeah, it still seemed a little more focused on a House of Spirits. I think House of Spirits. It was still yeah. focused on like one family, right? But it was still generational, at least.
0: It was it was generational. It was there was less less time than this. Okay, because there was at least like one you know, you follow one person from his youth into his old age uh, and you deal with the many generations of his family before him and after him, but there's still like him there as that focal point. And okay. this is there are a couple like very long lived characters in here, but nobody who goes all the way from the beginning to the to the end, which okay. is part what part of the point.
1: Cool. Um yeah. this book got a lot of hype uh when it was released. Almost every review I read mentioned how much she was paid for the book. like it was one of those like she got a million dollar advance things and like okay. giving it a lot of publishing industry credit um, or cred, not credit credibility, I suppose. Um, it did uh, also Tanahasi Coates like was tweeting about it. At like the height of Tanahasi Coates' twi- Twitter power before Coates was like, I hate this place. <laughs>
0: Those were the days.
1: Um, and she uh, she has remarked multiple times that she was like, I didn't even know he had a copy. How did that happen? Um, <laughs> it was you know it won some awards, National Book Critics Circle like award for first book. She got the Penn Hemingway Award. She received the American Book Award.
0: And she also talked a bit. I mean, you linked me this article, so I assume you want to talk about it too, but there's a piece that she wrote for the guardian. um, This past March, 2021. Yeah. This past about the, um, the like George Floyd racial justice protests of 2020 and, and onward. And just talking about how Homegoing showed up on a bunch of like anti-racism book lists. And it like started going back up the sales chart as a, Result of that. And she just says what well, she's she was not her feelings about it were complicated. Yeah. Yeah. I make my living off my imagination. But this summer, as I watch Homegoing Climb back up the New York Times bestseller list in response to its appearance on anti-racist reading lists, I saw again with no small amount of bile that I make my living off the articulation of pain to my own. My people's it is wrenching to know that the occasion for the renewed interest in your work is the murders of black people and the subsequent listening and learning of white people. I'd rather not know this feeling of experiencing career highs as you were flooded with a grief so old and worn that it seems unearthed a fossil of other old and worn griefs. And the whole like the the whole thrust of the piece is just like I did not write this book to be like a learning tool for yeah well-meaning white people yeah yeah. <laughs> um, why am I being asked questions that James Baldwin answered in the nineteen sixties that Toni Morrison answered in the eighties? I read Morrison's The Bluest Eye for the first time when I was a teenager and it was so crystalline, so beautifully and perfectly formed that it filled me with something close to terror. So just kind of a surprise, not not even a surprise, but just like a, a weariness with the fact that, you know, decades and decades after after Baldwin and, and Morrison are, are writing these seminal works, like she's still... St- still like filling this role on like book lists and in people i don't you know what yep. i mean like, yeah it's... there was a
1: similar episode of code switch where they talked about that where they talked about the like well okay what it's great now that everyone's listening to us what are they going to do about it um but that that's also they're not creating a fictional work that is meant to speak more artistically to things that's even more specific to what Jossie's talking about. So, yeah. Um, other reviews have, like, put her work alongside stuff like Roots, stuff like Beloved by Toni Morrison as, like, fiction, works of works of art that are fictional can, like, lodge in your brain in the way that uh, a news story or a history book sometimes doesn't, mm-hmm. for better and for worse, right? Yeah. It, it, if, it might not cause you to take action the same way. It might... Uh, kind of distort the facts in a different way, you know, all that, all that kind of stuff, and
0: yeah, I don't know. and and to be, I mean, because as like well-meaning white people yeah. who read this book, like the. the her harshest criticism is for people who buy the stuff performatively and then do not read or interact with it yeah. or whatever in any way. So, like, I'm glad that we're at least like a couple rungs up on that ladder, if nothing. Well, else. <laughs> and, and I wanted to like, I, I also
1: want to read this passage from a little later in that article yeah, um, to kind of even challenge myself about the questions I'm going to ask you today. Um, oh,
0: boy. Just that just asking you know, questions. She
1: she talks about uh talking with another black author and being at panels and the types of questions that they get asked versus the questions that like white male authors get asked. Yeah. Um and she says, So many of the writers of color that I know have had white people treat their work as though it were a kind of medicine. Um she also says that the white male author gets asked craft questions, character questions, research questions, questions about the novel itself, about the quality and the content of the page themselves. Um so just like and I know I've ever been guilty of this on this show and off of like, here's the reason why we should read the book or talk about the book and not actually always wind up talking about the book itself. So that's just like my challenge to myself in this episode a little bit.
0: Yeah. And I I don't think it's a bad thing for us to like have reasons why we want to read yeah, the books yeah. that we that we pick as we like program our, our public Book podcast, but yeah, I I know what you. I know what you mean. Like, if if a book similar in structure and scope were like written by a white guy, how would how would our conversation about it differ? And like, just trying to make it differ as little as possible, or only where it's important. Yeah, different where it's important is what I would say. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um,
1: So that's this book. She has another book that came out last year, Transcendent Kingdom. Um, she was shortlisted for the woman's prize for fiction for that, um, in 2020 or no, the transcendent game came out in 2020. It's 2022. Ah, yeah.
0: uh, <laughs> still writing 2021 on all my podcasts.
1: <laughs> You're right. I am. Um, so if, if this book sounds interesting or you've if you've read this book and you're like, "Ooh, I want to get the overdue take, but you haven't read the other one." Go <laughs> check it out. I don't know if we have a take. We're just going to talk about It's just a the
0: weird book. sentence to imagine anybody saying. Some like, people I got say I got I got to I gotta see if these guys have a have a, one of them hot takes. Maybe with maybe with some episodes, it's like can't wait to watch those dummies fall down. I can't <laughs> wait to see how they work the Super Nintendo era Final Fantasy <laughs> games into this conversation. We got to go
1: back and play some like uh, fi- what's the Breath of Fire, and like uh, just like round out our, our reference no, we pool. We don't we
0: don't have we don't have to do. That.
1: Okay, well let's take I've, a... tri-
0: I've tried with Breath of Fire is what I'm saying.
1: <laughs> <laughs> let's take a quick break. While we're away, we'll brainstorm some other titles and then we'll, you know, work them into future episodes. Yeah, for sure, for sure. For okay, sure. see you soon.
0: Bill's you can't, can't live with them, can't live without them, am I right? Gotta pay
1: the telephone bills, gotta pay mm. the internet bills, gotta <laughs> pay the HBO bills.
0: But you know, was, bills are a constant in all of our lives uh-huh. here, here in capitalism, the system that we exist under, but the worst kind of bill is them fake bills. The ones <laughs> where you sign up for a service and you just mean to try it out and then it goes uncanceled for months and months until you finally realize it. There's definitely no uh, big-name audiobook service that I've done this with (laughs) in my life. Uh, Don't fall for subscription scams. You need to go to our friends at Truebill Truebill. and find out about their product. Truebill is one of our sponsors this week. Uh, It's a new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions you don't need, want, or simply forgot about. On average, people save up to $720 a year with Truebill. And because companies make subscriptions hard to cancel, Truebill makes it incredibly simple. Just link your accounts and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in one tap. And your Truebill concierge is there when you need them to cancel unwanted subscriptions so you don't have to. Truebill has over 2 million users and help save them over 100 million dollars don't fall for subscription scams start canceling today at truebill.com overdue don't do it craig you won't okay stop it
1: i'll go i'll go stop to falling Bill. for them
0: <laughs> Go right now truebill.com overdue it could save you thousands of dollars a year
1: before the break we alluded to Two works that this book is similar to, but we didn't do like a what's this book? How does it work so Andrew, I ask you in mm-hmm. my new segment what's mm-hmm. this book?
0: How does it work it's kind of an existing segment that you just put a name to though, which I'm going to chalk up to your media training yeah they told <laughs> okay. me I need to start branding parts of the podcast that's that's fair that's good that's good training that's good okay media training. Uh, so like you had mentioned about we, we talked about like the duality of the of the situation, like you're talking about the 18th century, like Gold Coast slave trade in Africa. Yeah. Um, you've got the like the colonizers living up top in relative luxury. And then you've got uh, slaves who are being who are imprisoned below like. Yeah barely being fed, like having to stand in their own waste, like just being brutalized daily mm-hmm. constantly. Um, so the book begins with two half sisters and, and you find out that they're, they're not, they don't like live under the same roof. They, they find out sort of independently that they're linked together. And then, you know, we, the reader see that they're linked together, but they never, they never actually like meet or know each other at all. Okay but it's two half sisters one who um, is taken as a bride by one of the one of the british slavers okay and then one who is sold into slavery at about uh, around the same time do you know what like time period like
1: does it is it specific at this point in the novel like when this is taking place obviously it 18th, would be... i mean I,
0: I said 18th centuries but but it's like yeah you know, 1700s it's, yeah, it's, it's okay. early to mid 1700s and then the book goes on through to i'm not sure how present day it is because nobody end, yeah. i can neither confirm nor deny the existence of like laptops and smartphones and stuff. <laughs> okay sure um i guess i assume that if obama being president factored into i i think it would have been mentioned if it had gone that far ahead in time but okay. like from then to something that is like Most has recognizably happened within the last like 30 years. Sure. Okay, cool. Um, Sorry to interrupt. No, no problem. And so we get uh, alternating chapters just like going. uh, It it jumps. There's no like set time interval between uh, jumps. It's it's mostly a generational thing. So you go generation to generation, um, tracing the family that, you know, that has stayed in Africa. It's in. the Asante Empire, yeah. which is now Ghana, um, yeah,
1: now part of Ghana, yeah, yeah,
0: and it, you know, the the fall of the Asante Empire is a, you know, it's a minor plot point in the in the book, um, and then you know, on the other, on the other side of it, it goes from uh, slavery in the U.S. all all the way through um, the Civil War and Jim Crow and and the Civil Rights era and and yeah, okay, cool, so. Cool you and get you'll get a chapter from the african branch of the family and then a chapter from the american branch of the family and then eventually at the end they come back together again ah so there's like a symmetry to it in that way
1: but are those two characters that you mentioned at the beginning of the book are they do we see them over the years or is it jumping between people in the family
0: um so the, there's more continuity in the in the african side of things obviously because their families are not continuously being split yeah, up. Yeah, sure. Okay. Like, you know, by people who are selling them mm-hmm. as property. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you, like you will. Like, so Effia is the name of the sister who marries uh, James, the British uh, <clears throat> British slaver. And then Essie is the uh, person who sold into slavery. Okay. And so, uh, Essie, yeah, like you. You mostly hear stories about her from, like, from the perspective of of her, like, child and grandchildren. But you don't really, like that. That line is is broken up more on the American side than it is on the African side.
1: Sure, sure, sure,
0: sure. Okay, um, does that answer your question? I, feel I think like that does. Bit, I, the the
1: the my line Car- of characters appear, but yes. you're
0: not like following y- every every time you jump between countries you are also jumping perspectives and generations and you will sometimes hear about characters to establish that link you'll sometimes see them and meet them again to establish that link but that's most of what they're there for like the perspective has changed and so your character has has changed okay
1: that's what i wanted to confirm because i saw some mention of it being like every chapter is a new character, or or like, and some people kind of framing the book as a series of short stories. It's not that. Okay, cool.
0: I mean, okay. it, I mean, you it can is, but it is. you can <laughs> yeah. choose to interpret it that way, like. But I. It doesn't seem we, like it was. We have read we guy. have read short story collections for the show, and is is a different. It's a much different feel. Yeah. Now. Okay. Okay. When you're when you are making no effort to have any link at all or if you're just doing kind of like a view universe situation (laughs) where the stories can exist in continuity because they don't directly contradict each other you know i I just
1: clarify is the view universe is that the kevin james verse yeah kevin that's his name right yeah no
0: wait no it's the it's the kevin smith (laughs) You got your you got your white schlubby Kevin's mixed yeah, I, up. I often do. Okay, I just needed to make sure that that's what it was. You know the Kevin the Kevin James verse is the whole like happy Madison. Yes, you're stable. Right. Okay, dang, sorry. It's different.
1: <laughs> you just use that term with such confidence, that, and and you've used it before. And I honestly,
0: I've used it before because it's like the most incongruous example of a loose continuity yeah. that I can think of when we're talking about a book like
1: And it does seem to <laughs> kind of want its cake and eat it too. Like it wants to be poking fun at the idea of it and have you kind of enjoy that it's connected. Yeah. Um, anyway, this book that we're actually talking about.
0: I guess if you wanted to be all literary about it, you could compare it to like the Vonnegut thing where oh, they're like yeah, loosely sure. recurring. Like well, whatever. But it's no, it's more it's more um it's more directly intertwined than that it is definitely a story that is that starts at the beginning and then There's an proceeds to the end <laughs> and the only reason you would call it like a group of short stories is because it is jumping and and covering so much time instead okay. of just being a yeah do you want to like walk us through
1: a couple standouts do you want to um do a broad summary what do you think is the best way to like let folks know what happens in the book
0: I think we can just, we can go through the, like the time. I I think we can go through, we can pick one, you know, side of the story at a time and we can kind of go through the time. Like the, the, the American part of the book stuck with me a little more easily just because the events and the, and the concepts it was dealing with were more familiar to me. Sure. Yeah. Um, the, uh, Isabel Wilkerson reviewed the book in the New York times and said that she liked the, uh, the African parts of the book and found that the American ones were, um, more filled with like stock characters or, or cliches. I don't know. Like a, I, I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily agree, but I just wanted to, to, I'm trying to highlight that my, <laughs> my like remembering the, uh, American parts of the book is just because of my like experience and not like a comment on the qualitative aspects. I saw
1: some other reactions to the book that, uh, similar to Wilkerson that were like the maybe for American readers who, uh, found the like, here are famous events in American history. Um, some people love that about the movie Forrest Gump and some people find it (laughs) kind of checklisty. Mm-hmm. And I think one reaction to that the those parts of this book has been it feels a little checklisty in service of a larger theme, and people That's generally fair. like the larger theme, but it actually kind of pulls them out, whereas the characters in uh, Ghana or in West Africa um, are, you know, maybe it's also because there's less turmoil between like, that family is less separated and split up, as you said. So maybe you get a brought a deeper picture of those characters for or some. Or people. maybe if
0: you were from Ghana and you were reading the book, you'd be like, "Man, this this sections of this that are in Africa are pretty a little checklist." Yeah, know? maybe. Kinda, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, possibly. But anyway, uh, but which yeah, one do I'm you want to go through first? Uh, let's do the American side first. Um, okay. Because the I think the like the even though the characters are, there's a little more disjointedness there. I think like the, the events are more recognizable. So we're going to be able to move through them a little bit more quickly. Sure. Um, so you've got, you know, you've got, uh, the slavery part of the book where the characters are slaves. Um, it is the main person you meet through this, uh, leg of the book is Ness, who is a, uh, woman who is, who had the, that her part of the story ends with, uh, her, you know, relaying the story about her and her husband, uh, who had a child and then tried to run away and then got caught. Okay. The child did get away. Like there was somebody who specifically like specialized in, in helping slaves escape to the North and the baby got left with her while she was trying to guide all three of them. Okay. Okay. Um, and so the the next jump you get is from the baby. Now he's a, he's a grown man. Okay, it's not uh, told
1: from the perspective of a baby.
0: No, it's told from the perspective of the man who was that baby. Great, cool. And so and so the story tells, you know, it, it tells you what you need to know cuz in the, in the early chapters I guess it's more important that they you know that uh, established the link to just like tell you what the structure of the, the book is doing. Yeah. 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 So yeah, yeah like you, the, the, um, person who he escaped with it, like lives with him and it's the only mother he's ever known. And he has married a, uh, he's living in Baltimore. He, uh, helps to patch up ships. Like he is really good with at working with pitch and he's generally feeling pretty okay. Like there's a pretty vibrant, black community in in Mm -hmm. Baltimore he's got um, seven kids I think with his wife who has a sick butt (laughs) and another one on the way And, and the kids all have you know alphabetically arranged names and so the baby's name is just h they don't know what the baby they don't know what they don't know what it right will yet, be called but, but, but it's they're gonna call h, it
1: h something h something okay
0: cool and what happens in this to disrupt this little slice of of like actually a happy person is <laughs> that the like the fugitive slave act gets passed and sure his wife gets despite being you know like genuinely free having papers yep. having everything like while she is still pregnant she is caught up and she is sold and and his life falls apart and then the next jump is to H who is only named H um is a you know is a young man who this we've moved into the just barely post civil war period like he was a slave then he was freed but then he was imprisoned for next to nothing and then uh, like leased out to coal miners. And so he was in Alabama. So he is mining for like years. And then he eventually gets his f- freedom and, and continues mining. Cause it's what he knows, but does like, you know, start a family and, and, and becomes like a, a union man. And it's, a, it's a, it's a rare, Um, in the American sections of the book, it's like the only time where you see black and white people like living and working next to each other and having like mutual respect because, you know, white prisoners get sold. They're all being exploited. Cool. Miners too. And like, you know, when you are down there and the mine is gonna collapse or you need to get like however many tons of coal or you're gonna get killed like, yeah 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 there's a there's a you know it's we 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 have to be together up here like we're together down there sort of mentality and it, it is one of the like only successful integrated communities that we'd see in the entire cuz the cuz the rest of the book is is sort of a tour through um like gradually less explicit, but still very much extant forms of American racism. Yeah. Which sure. I think maybe, maybe if you're thinking, you know, this, this seems like ground that's been covered or, or this seems like checklisty. I think maybe that's what you'd be responding to.
1: Yeah. Is. But it what you're sounds like you're responding to is that by the way that they are stacked in this book is it's the like additive linkage effect. It's, Preventing you from seeing them as like discrete events throughout history that happened separate from one another.
0: Like, yeah, right. And like, it's a it's a chain of things that all happened in sequence and the sequence is important and like knowing about it's important. It's not just like, yeah, suddenly suddenly race is a problem in America, you know, (laughs) does it does it completely
1: like just kind of skip the Civil War itself? Right. There's no. You there's see no...
0: like yeah, you you're like, Oh, the war's coming and oh the war's just ended, but no, you you know you don't meet anybody who's like a, That's a, a... union or confederate soldier. And I, I think honestly, like if you're gonna I think everybody who's reading this book is gonna like understand the, the you don't need to go blow by blow through the no damn civil war
1: well <laughs> no, yeah i think that's like smart because it's like it saves you from having once you start showing parts of the civil war you have to show more of it like it but then it also uh just completely sidesteps any sense of like it, it being a like proper end to that to all of that awful stuff. Like, like it immediately just moves on to the next version of the awful stuff. Yeah. Um, okay, cool.
0: Um, and so, and then, then after that with, you know, you, you follow H's daughter, uh, the great migration is happening. She ends up in Harlem um, and then her son in another chapter ends up um, working with the NAACP for a while, but then like falling into a, a drug habit mm and then his son is uh, the the person who the book ends with. Like it's the end of the American line of okay. the, of the okay. book. Uh, Marcus is his name, and Marcus is is going to school and and trying to d- trying to do like research or trying to do a work that actually covers a lot of his family history. Mm-hmm. Uh, Originally, he wanted to focus his work on the convict leasing system that had stolen years off his great grandpa H's life. But the deeper into the research he got, the bigger the project got. Um, How could he talk about great grandpa H's story without also talking about his grandma Willie and the millions of other black people who had migrated north fleeing Jim Crow? Um, and if he mentioned the Great Migration, he'd have to talk about the cities that took that flock in. He'd have to talk about Harlem. And how could he talk about Harlem without mentioning his father's heroin addiction, the sins in prison, the criminal record going on to, um, you know, if, if, he, if he thought about all of that, it would make him so mad that he would slam his book down. And if he slammed the book down, then everyone in the room would stare and all they would see would be his skin and his anger. And they would think they knew something about him and it would be the same something that had justified putting his great grandpa H in prison, only it would be different too, less obvious than it once was. And so you get passages like that through the book that kind of underline what the book is is trying to do with time, like this, this project that Marcus wants to do. Um, he says later... Uh, how could he explain to Marjorie that what he wanted to capture with his project was the feeling of time, of having been a part of something that stretched so far back, was so impossibly large that it was easy to forget that she and he and everybody, everyone else existed in it, not apart from it, but inside of it. And so, just the the project of the book is to use this large time scale to make everything feel more like present and mm. not like. Yeah, and I, I think if you if you are responding to that, you know, that moment in American history where we elect the first black president and a bunch of people start talking about like a post racial America, if you're if you're responding to. That moment and like what came after it, where people seem dismayed to discover that actually racism still <laughs> exists. Yeah, like to to try and make it clear that every everything is linked and everything has a history. Like that—that's what the book is—is is, like trafficking in.
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, I'm, I'm trying to think. Like, I don't remember what the exact dates of of her career are vis a vis starting this book. It coming out in 2016. Yeah, it's certainly being written during the back half of the obama presidency where you're seeing all of you're seeing all of that uh naivete for what it was because yeah and and
0: stuff is dropping away and things are getting gradually sort of uglier as as the backlash to that continues yeah Did you harder harder to ignore certainly when you were when you were reading those twenty fifteen and yeah
1: yeah sorry when you were reading those like American chapters were you latching do you find yourself latching onto the historical moments more or the characters more or is that a a bad differentiation or or a a unuseful differentiation
0: it it depends on the chapter I thought actually that H the sure. you know, the minor who is dealing with, um, like the coal stuff. Yeah. 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 Like I I thought that he was a really interesting character because he is, you know, these events are, are happening to him, but also I am, I'm getting a better idea of who he is as a person because of how he responds to Great and And that doesn't always happen with with every character like if you get to like Marcus's dad, Sonny, who is you know who is become disillusioned with with politics and with marching because you know th- things are moving so slowly and like how 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 much of a difference can I actually make in this way and then falls into like a drug habit and and that feels a little more like. This is this is I am I'm reading about a character type and, yeah, le- and okay. less about like a a, a person, person who is sure. responding to events. Does that make sense? No, it does. Kind it kind of goes it varies from chapter to chapter. Yeah, yeah. That makes
1: sense. Um, cool. Let's talk about the other thread um, of the folks who do not cross the Atlantic.
0: So a lot of what the people who are still in what is now Ghana, what what is through most of the books still like the Asante empire. Yeah. Um, So you were, you were following the descendants of um, you say that was Effia or Effie. Yeah. Effia, uh, her children by this white guy and then their descendants. So you are getting like, there is, there is a, there's a lot of talking about like skin tone Mm, and talking about, you know, what it feels like to be like not entirely of either culture that you've sort of sprung from. Mm. um, And so, yeah, you, you get a couple of, of chapters of people sort of uneasily straddling this, this line between being like authority figures in the, the white, like British part of this, of this setup and, and people who are, trying to like fulfill their traditional roles within like the Asante society that they come from. And then you get one person um, who decides, you know, I don't, I don't want to be part of the slave trade. I don't want to be part of this family. I just kind of want to go and get married and be nobody. And so there's a, you know, there's a, a battle that happens where he is thought to be dead, but he's not dead, but he uses this opportunity to, to escape and sort of, huh. Create a, a break in the in the line, and so to, to, this is the closest you get in the in the African sections of the book to having sort of a, a break where it is it becomes harder to just like Google who your family was, you know mm, what I mean? Like, sure.
1: Well, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Because it's well, especially if they are descendants of one of the like colonizers and like yeah. that. And people who are in power and are controlling the
0: records and things like that's going to be very different. Right. Well, and usually what ends up happening is is. On on or near their deathbed, you know, that one of the people will reveal to the next generation like who who they are and where they come from and so so that knowledge will like persist in sort of increasingly contrived ways as the the family line continues but yeah you got this this break in the in the family where you're not really at the castle anymore you're not really dealing with the slave trade anymore and you know time time goes on for long enough that you know slaves are not actively being traded but what what the african part of the book is is talking about is how that system and the like the colonizers like have this lasting effect on on like african society too like it is not a it's not a thing where just because you didn't get shipped overseas does not mean like your life and your society has not been like permanently. Yeah. Changed what, by this stuff. I was trying so it's, to
1: do a, I was trying to do a little reading on it and like even something as basic as like, I believe prior to, you know, it was first the Portuguese and then it was the Dutch and then it was basically everybody in Europe was like, cool, there's a bunch of gold here. Let's go there. And then, Oh, also we can start buying and selling people. That will be great. Um, like it just shifted local power from inland communities to communities on the shore, like uh and just like it changed the power the local power base well among, and the book also
0: talks you know, about how the you know wh- whatever white people it was who you yeah, know, yeah, who they were dealing with at the time came in and sort of exploited existing tensions between yep, like kingdoms and communities to get, you know, the Asante people to, to sell, you know, people from another kingdom or another n- town yep. into slavery. Like, you know, you, you go to war with somebody, you'd capture people and then you'd sell them. And mm-hmm. that's, you know, that's how you would bring, that's how you get more stuff and more like status for your own, for your own self and your yeah, immediate right. people, whoever that might be. Yeah, But this is, so this is, um, James is the is the name of the person who doesn't want to be in this anymore and who just like leaves and becomes uh, becomes nobody like, you know, yeah.
1: no, nobody like of historical import or connected to power or whatever. Yeah, yeah.
0: that's that's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you cannot stick a knife in. A, so that's the that's the time frame it's like the the slave trade itself is dying down, but you're still dealing with its its effects. Yeah. You cannot stick a knife in a goat and then say, now I will remove my knife slowly. So let things be easy and clean. Let there be no mess. There will always be blood. Uh, James had heard this speech or something like it many times before. The British were no longer selling slaves to America, but slavery had not ended. And his father did not seem to think that it would end. They would just trade one type of shackles for another trade, physical ones that wrapped around wrists and ankles for the invisible ones that wrapped around the mind. Mm,
1: mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: Does it go? Um, The British had no intention of leaving Africa. Even once the slave trade ended, they owned the castle and though they had yet to speak aloud they intended to own the land as well
1: yeah and that and that's what goes on to happen as as it as that area all becomes part of the british gold coast colony yeah and yeah like and
0: that. and you do there's a it's a generation or two past this that you get like the the last you know stand of of yeah Asante that's that's like at the turn of the 20th the century Brit- yeah. yeah it's right around 1900 yeah,
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. and then it's and then the British Gold Coast is the colony until the 50s I think. Does this book go through Ghanaian independence or no? Uh
0: not. It's it is a thing that has happen, like sort of like the civil war. It's a thing that you don't that happens but you don't see it. Like people oh, okay. talk about it happening in the future before it happens and then it's that's you know it's a thing that has happened in the past after it happens, but you don't you don't directly see interesting events that are that occur that's
1: just so i just am fascinated by that choice for both like timeline like both plot threads to like in a in a book where you are saying here are i'm gonna find characters that allow me to depict and connect to these historical events to like very specifically be like don't need to cover that that's too big. That's, like, too big for this book.
0: It's either too big or, or maybe even you you just trust your reader to either and yeah. you know enough or to go and research enough. I
1: think maybe that's what I mean by too big is, like, the, the reader, those are things that the reader is bringing so much of their own stuff to that it could drown out whatever you would say. So just, like, I'm going to move. And you'll you'll infer whatever Jossie might Think about those times and those events based on whatever else she wants to write about. I don't know. It's Mm -hmm. it's just interesting.
0: Yeah. Uh, But the, the person who's, so it is the, I think the grandson or great grandson of James, the person who sort of runs away from everything. Like James has a daughter who has a daughter who has yaw. Okay. And it's a a recurring motif through this book that I'm not really going to do justice is just like all the members of this family sort of, having like recurring nightmares and and sort of having this very troubled relationship to fire because, because the two sisters like mother, like lit something on fire. And so there's like this, this that, that like killed some people. And so there's, there's this sense that, you know, there is some like larger, like cosmic tragedy sort of hanging over this, this family. family. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so yeah, Yaw is, he was a baby and his mother while sleepwalking, like set the house on fire and killed his sisters and like scarred his face. Oh God. Um, and so he is the, the story with him picks up when he's in like his early fifties. He's not really married. He's teaching in what will become Ghana sort of talking about you know a lot of people are saying independence is coming but i don't you know i don't i don't know mm. and he's teaching history at a like there are these moments in the book and i've read i think i've read most of them and i'm going to read another one where the book just does come out and like <laughs> grab you and it's like hey this is i'm this is what i'm this about. is what i am saying <laughs> sure. this is what i am about as a book why not uh, this is the problem of history. We cannot know that which we were not there to see and hear and experience for ourselves. We must rely upon the words of others. Those who were there in the olden days, they told stories to the children so that the children would know so that the children could tell stories to their children and so on and so on. But now we come upon the problem of conflicting stories. Uh, we believe the one who has the power. He is the one who gets to write the right story. So when you study history, you must always ask yourself, whose story am I missing? Whose voice was suppressed so that this voice could come forth? Once you figured that out, you must find that story too. From there, you begin to get a clearer yet still imperfect picture. Sure. So yeah, another like this book's about history. Every <laughs> pay attention.
1: More than one review I read like cited that passage in particular of just like yeah, this is what the book's about. Yeah. Like especially the line of like which something something whose whose voices were suppressed or you know that bit like that yeah. is this book is a a balance. On the scale in the other direction. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, it is, is y'all the, the the closing perspective of that line or is there another one? Is there like,
0: no. So y'all gets married and moves actually to Alabama and okay. they have a daughter whose name is, is Marjorie and Marjorie talks about. You know because she is still like you know she she is a I don't how did immigration generations work like if you move. Are you first generation or is your child first generation? Mm, that's a good question. I just like I, I never have been totally straight on this. Um but I believe Marjorie is Marjorie is the first American born kid of two parents who moved from
1: yes, so Ghana to the to when the we, United States. When we use that definition, I believe it is uh the first foreign the, the first born in that family in whatever the emigrated country is okay um but i think there might be some like you might also use it for the first generation to acquire citizenship in that new country but, sure
0: yeah okay
1: but i think you're but, you're correct to use it how, how you're using it
0: now <laughs> okay <laughs> great. Great, good, 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 great great that's great Thank you for, I just, your media training has made you so good at like kind of looking this kind of thing up on the fly and like making it seem like part of the show and not like something we need to pause for. So I'm glad.
1: You know, they told me just the the biggest lesson I learned from media training was uh, the camera never turns off.
0: No, it's true. Even in an audio medium, it's always a camera. Uh so Marjorie is as Marcus is the end of the the American like lineage uh, Marjorie is the end of the of the African bit and she she has come to America but because you know her parents chose to move to America and then that's what they did not because someone yeah. grabbed them and forced to bleed sold them into into it um though even even she is she talks about you know the she she has to deal with You know, classic American racism where (laughs) white people and black people don't get along, but then also other kinds where she is not. And this is this is something that she talks about. And, And I guess I assume that Marjorie is like more directly autobiographical. I hate to, you know, to.
1: Like graft that on where it might not be yeah, explicit, but yeah, but like sure.
0: it's, her biography matches up the most closely with like Jossie's herself, so sure. Uh, and more anyway. Point point being, um, she'll be in class with with um other uh, other black kids, and she will you know not think of herself as African American, like she's not yeah. the right kind of black, yeah, yeah. And she is like you know, and and, and this is this is one. A uh, thing that Wilkerson called out in her New York Times review is, um, you know, the the black kids in class because she is is reading the assignment uh, because Marjorie is the other kids in class say, you know, you sound like a white girl. Mm. Uh, it is dispiriting to encounter such a worn out cliche that African-Americans are hostile to reading and education in a work of such beauty. And I thought that was hmm. – Again, this is like I don't know. It's I'm just reacting to it as I, I react to it. It's it's weird to think like if this is actually a thing that did happen to Jossie yeah. in, in real life to like read in the New York Times that you are a cliche. Like well, that must that must feel crappy. Yeah, <laughs> <You know>? yeah. <laughs> like whether whether that's actually true or not, that's just like the the thought that occurred to me when I read that bit of that review. But any anyway, that's a. Mm.
1: Yeah, I I think you're. I I would agree with your assessment here that at with all of the choices that Jossie did make in the character like creation process of this novel, to then have a character towards the end of it that is at least moderately close to her own biosketch, like that's not not important.
0: Yeah. Uh, but so, yeah, Marjorie and Marcus meet in the last chapter. This is, is Marcus's chapter. But, okay. you know, finally the, the two threads have come back together. They do not. I mean, there's no moment where they discover, oh, we're distantly related. Sure. Like they, they have a relationship with each other that is not that is neither explicitly romantic or aromantic. It's just. Um, but, yeah, it is, yeah they, they have just, like, been drawn to each other and are hanging out a lot. And Marjorie, like wants to go back to to ghana because like her her grandmother lived there and and she you know is is rusty on the language but she does like she she has ties back to that homeland and so it ends with the both of them like they do this they take like a touristy tour of the castle oh
1: yeah well that's what she that's what josie did yeah sure
0: yeah okay. where the, where their families had where their family had like diverged so long ago and then they end up just in the like out in the ocean, just like bonding and being together and it's sort of a moment where you'd sense the the sisters or the or the family like kind of being reunited and that's where the book ends. And I I think it's I think that's nice. I it worked for me.
1: Yeah. It sounds like it. (laughs) As a denouement. As a denouement. good good pronunciation on that one. Thank you. Um I think we've covered like all of my like Kind of structural questions because the the reactions to this book. We talked about it as like a work of historical fiction. Um, we talked about it as a like a structure of like you know one-off characters. And I think like a lot of the three-star Goodreads reviews that I read.
0: Three-star Goodreads reviews. Um,
1: were people who found themselves getting very invested in individual characters and then would get frustrated that the book was moving on from them.
0: I yeah, I can totally I can totally see that, and that that dovetails with my like observations that some of the characters are just stronger than others sure. as characters instead yeah. of as like types or as like a lens through which to view larger historical events happening. You mm-hmm, know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um,
1: I think that led. That take is probably what led the New Yorker review from Laura Miller to be like this was a pretty good book but it's this is one of those books where you're like can't wait to read what they write next like
0: yeah this I mean is, this is this is her debut novel it got a ton of buzz but like I don't I don't know that anybody's first try is like guaranteed to be the best you know like you're well, still working out so much stuff
1: and it can also be amazing and then you still get to learn either you either
0: you have one book in you and this is the book or you are a talent who's going to have a huge career. And this is the first of of many things that you're going to turn out. I'm not, I'm not (laughs) saying I think that this is either. I'm just like, that's how creativity works. But anyway, I, I enjoy this a lot. Like I, I think it is the guardian thing that, that she wrote. And and maybe you know I'll make sure the writer writers don't always come up with their own headlines. So I don't want to ascribe this to her, but the the headline on it is, you know, white people black authors are not your medicine. Like we are we are not a thing for you to take to feel better. Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. Um, I think if you are reading this book for that reason, you there is plenty to come away from it with. But also, I just I think I thought the structure was really was pretty unique and effective and and grabby and yeah i I enjoyed it cool well thanks for telling me about it you're glad we got to talk
1: about it um if folks have recommendations for uh you know 16-bit video games that we should uh (laughs) reference on the show you can
0: i don't think we should restrict ourselves by the number of bits
1: fair enough Um, Just cite how many bits are in the game when you send in the game. It would
0: be good to know. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Overduepod at gmail.com is the email address. Uh, Find us on social media at Overduepod. Thanks to uh, Jamie, James, Ray, Cy, Hannah, Becca, Grace, Casey, Elizabeth, Adam, Tracy. Many more reaching out this past week. A lot of folks talking about last week's Dr. Doolittle episode with Allie from SSR. We had a great time. Um, Our theme song is by Nick Larangis. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where do they go?
0: OverduePodcast.com is our internet website. Up there, we have links to the books that we have read and are going to read. Click those, buy the book, and you get a book. <laughs> and we get a cut of the money, and your local independent bookseller gets a sale. Yeah. I feel like it's, I mean, on your end, when you buy a book and you get a book, the benefit is pretty, pretty clear clear, but yeah, I thought I'd spell it out sure. for everybody. <laughs> we also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash overdue pod. Support the show, get bonus episodes early. Uh sit in on recordings of bonus episodes with us. We are uh we have not had our sort of twenty twenty two overdue editorial show meeting yet, but we are gonna We've be got some ideas. The, we're gonna be looking at the Patreon and, and trying to figure out ways to d- do some rewards that like d- Confer more immediate benefit than like yeah. You can get you can get your book on a list that's a year and a half long, and we'll eventually read it for the yep. show. <laughs> so stay tuned. Yeah. Um, uh, next, what are week? we reading next? what ne- Oh, what are we all reading next week?
1: Well, buddy, <laughs> boy howdy, mm-hmm. we are reading uh-huh. Peacock's Dan Brown's The Lost Symbol by Dan Brown, the novelization uh, mm-hmm. next week with our friends. Uh, from Appointment Television, Margaret and Catherine, Riven Peace. It's gonna
0: woo. So we're reading. We're reading The Lost Symbol by Dan Brown. Yeah. To to say it in normal, like we under the the bit is that it's a novelization of a TV show that came out like a decade and a half later. Yeah. <laughs> uh. So yeah, just like come prepared for that bit. Go back but and listen. We know we're doing to bit. our Da Vinci okay. Code
1: episode. I don't and care.
0: Inferno episode. I
1: I guess I don't. In retrospect, I've really cooled on that book, which is ironic because it's called Inferno. But um I mean, I
0: don't remember us thinking it was awesome. <laughs> But, uh, I, but I'm but i more comfortable with somebody listening to episode like 400 and something than episode four of
1: No, nah, <laughs> Da Vinci Code podcast. was a good time. We had a good time on that episode. Um, I will say that I'm over halfway through The Lost Symbol and they uh, no one has talked about a murmuration once. So I'm a little confused based Dang. on what I heard about the TV I think maybe show.
0: Maybe this TV show has changed some stuff.
1: Yeah, maybe. We'll talk about I mean, that. Anyway, we're going
0: to talk like, about adaptations and Dan Brown and, you know, our two favorite <laughs> topics. Yeah. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you for listening to our show. Until we find you and your symbols next week, please try to be happy.